Hey, welcome everybody. Welcome to the Winning Momentum Podcast. Excited to be here today with my first guest of 2023. Kevin, before we jump into this, uh, and I'm going to do an introduction for you and all that sort of stuff, but sometimes, sometimes when I am getting ready to do a podcast, I listen to other podcasts for the 30 minutes that I'm sort of getting things organized, you know, get myself juiced up and and yeah. I was listening to Lewis Howe came across my podcast this morning, and he's got uh, today's show was some extracts from some Navy, you know, these Navy SEAL influencer book writing, yeah. psychology, get up at four in the morning and yeah. go for a run type yeah, yeah, people. And he had one guy on there I'd never heard before. And again, I was half paying attention, but I thought it was interesting. So this is a guy who overcame, as I understood the story huge life obstacles to get himself into a position to survive athletically the training program, the admittance program to become a Navy SEAL. And he, he failed three times and, you know, entered the program sick and with uh, stress fractures and found a way to persevere and overcome. And, and as he grew through his career, he became a pre-trainer for Navy SEAL applicants. So he's he's training people who just aren't going to survive physically the admittance, if I'm using the right word. And, mm-hmm. and so he would put them through a pre-training program. And okay. what he learned is that the failure rate stayed exactly the same. <laughs> and he said what really? yeah what they were doing the dropout rate and what they were doing was they were making bigger stronger faster quitters and that it <laughs> and that it wasn't it's not about the athleticism and the physical nature but the psychological overcoming fear and obstacle uh, the mental side of it that they weren't dealing yeah. with at all and his conclusion, based on his own life story, was a lot of this has to do with becoming too comfortable with where you are, seeking comfort rather than seeking pain and obstacles to continue to blow through, and that you need to just constantly touch base with your roots and see what you have overcome and the journey that you've been on, right? And then, and then you put yourself in a much better spot. Yeah, very interesting. Like that—that that is very interesting, and, and surprisingly, or maybe not. Um, I talked to somebody this morning who was talking about Navy SEAL training, well, and it makes sense, right? Like, why would we ever? Why would we ever want to put ourselves through excruciating pain, and you know, feel like that's good for us in some way? You know, usually what we try to do is we try to avoid. That kind of stuff, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, we try to we try to keep that on the back burner, but we invite that in. And it's funny because in my practice, I talk to different people. I I do some work with um, RCMP, OPP, uh, as well. That's come up in conversation, and I think it's all your narrative. I think it's I think that's part of it. Is do I invite that in or do I try to avoid it? One of, one of the police officers, the young guy. And, you know, you're aware of all the stuff that they go through, you know, um, and it could be it could be a, a, a motor vehicle accident, it could be a domestic dispute, 
what he tries to do now is change the narrative a little bit. So when he gets a call, he says to himself, good. And it could be something that's a bit of a shit show, right? He says to himself, good. I get a chance to, to walk into this. I mean, I get a chance and to, to make a And to add value. To be hit. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Interesting. All right, everybody. Uh, Again, thank you for joining us. Uh, My guest today is uh, Kevin Waldbillig. Waldbillig. I always struggle with that, Kevin. I've known you like (laughs) thirty-five years, and I (laughs) I always strange name. name. (laughs) Kevin. Well, I was telling my uh, I was telling uh, my coordinator, assistant, head of marketing today that um, for thirty years I called you a nickname. Because we played hockey together. <laughs> and so it's always strange for me to address you properly. <laughs> yeah, well, hey. uh, Kevin is a uh, past guest on the show, a registered psychotherapist dealing with mental health, health and counseling, a career coaching specialist in private practice in the uh, GTA, the greater Toronto area, uh, for a decade or more than a decade. Mm-hmm. And Kevin, we have a we certainly have a, uh, some Canadian audience, but we're pretty split between the U.S. I think U.S. is more than Canada, just as an FYI. Yeah. And we have a bunch of international audience as well, just so you know. Oh, so cool. we're not we're not GTA centric, um, but but that's where Kevin is from. Kevin's had the opportunity in his career to help and assess, uh, coach, and find creative solutions for over a thousand clients in a variety of sectors and stages of career development, many of whom who have uh, experienced workplace challenges and difficulties in both their professional or personal lives. He's worked with as a part-time professor at Sheridan College, which that's a Toronto-based or Oshawa-based? Yeah, they have uh, have a few different campuses. A lot of the colleges, universities do now, but now, they were originally based in uh, in Oakville. They also have, have campuses uh, up north as well, Brampton, for example. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And, and a counselor and clinician at the University of Toronto and continues to – sorry, what does counselor and clinician at U of T, University of Toronto, mean? You're working with students or – Yeah. Yeah, I was working with uh, – primarily with students. So my my practice was still intact, which is based in Oakville. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I would get a chance to interact with the students and I, I enjoy that. You know, I like, I like the buzz on campus and I like all those things that the students are talking about and, and, and as they look forward to the next steps in their lives, it it was really, it was really quite good. And you're not, you're not trying, you're not uh, teaching at the college. You're helping students get through their collegiate experience yeah, I taught at the university i taught at the university as well but i i was working in the um in a counseling therapy capacity there yeah. right okay um welcome back to the show thank you thank you thank you it, to be here. now you are my first guest of 2023 and i wanted it that way because this is this is a new year and this is the time of the year i think we're People look to rebalance their lives. They take the holiday, certainly I do, take the holiday period to reflect. Yeah. You know, are my values what I want them to be? What were my successes and failures in the last year? What are my new goals? And just really just chill out and go very big picture and think about life and career and and business. And I 
and I think many others come out of that energized and ready to hit the ground in 2023. But I also think that some people come out of that depressed and anxious, right? Um, yeah, and particular- well, you're absolutely right. <laughs> and particularly, uh, Kevin, if we look out at the macro world right now, where we have escalating war and who knows where that is going, we've got economic collapse potentially, but certainly inflation hurting people, interest rates hurting people, uh, recession prospects or reality hurting people. We've got, if you're listening to the news all the time, we've got migrant refugee crisis, not just the U.S. border issue, but all over the world. There's just, you know, these migrant stresses, uh, political unrest, uh, you know, young people. I just, I just, one of the things that bothers me a ton is the, uh, the fentanyl poisoning of young and the numbers on that are just staggering. Now, none of that to be blunt about Kevin really impacts my my personal day-to-day life because I'm super fortunate and I don't have to mm-hmm. deal with this stuff on a day-to-day basis. But if you listen to the news and you're on social media, it just creates this whole environment of stress and negativity. And um, and I could see and I sense in my employee base, I sense in uh, because I'm on, I'm putting out content. I'm on social media. I get comments back. The people are just anxious. They're just depressed and stressed. And there's a lot of reason to be that way. And so, what a great time to have you on, since this is your yeah. area of specialty. And and let's see if we can we can sort some of this out and add some value to the listeners. I will say that I'm completely open to the idea that I'm jaded. We, we, at a professional level, I've probably been on my top five. 2022 was probably my top five all time epic fails in terms of where I've been compared to where I wanted to be. It wasn't a good year on by any measure. Um, and then we've had some, you know, some, some, uh, family health issues going on, not me personally, but mm-hmm. some, anyways. So all of that is, is a burden. Um, I don't know if that's the right word to be using, but all of that just, you know, I, I'm really personally fighting to be positive through that. And yeah. and for me, that always means revisiting my purpose. Why do I get up in the morning, morning and what am I heading towards? But all of that to say, maybe if I hadn't had that backdrop, I'd be way more positive in the opening of this. And I personally am positive, but I just, I just sensing, I don't think it's just me. I'm just... I think I'm sensing in the population in general just a huge amount of uncertainty and stress and anxiety. So leads us to my first question to you is what are you seeing in your practice uh, this time of year and with all that backdrop of the macro things going on? What, what's your view on this? Yeah, yeah that's, that's a good observation. And I, I think what you're saying too, Scott, is that um, I, don't, I don't think it really matters right now where you are what sector you're working in or whether you're a student and by the way you know you, you're talking within your introduction about about students they've been whacked pretty hard here when you think about when you think about lockdowns and you think about the importance like when we were going to school scott the importance of social connection was huge right yes. Um, and there was a lot of things that we that we did to create social connection. That was really important. 
that's been that's in a lot of ways been been really taken away from from people. And I think the fallout from that is going, we're going to see that for several years down the road. Um, you mentioned a few things. Uh, what do I see in my practice, for example? I would say that 80, 90% of the people that, that I do see are anxious in some way. They express very similar views uh, to me, that they're worried about something specifically. And uh, I'm glad that you mentioned we all have biases. Yeah, we do. You know, it depends. It depends the way that I was raised. Maybe I was raised in a in a in a household that had a particular religious affiliation. That's mm-hmm. going to affect me. That's going to affect my worldview, the way that I see the world. Um, as much as we want to consider ourselves independent, we're highly influenced by our parents, by our you know, the connections that we made uh, in our life, whether or not we've played sports, what organizations um, did we belong to or our parents or our family, um, all of those, all of those things. I think, I think a lot of times um, when we look at the macro view and we look at what's going on in the world, I think to have an open mind about that as well is that the, the amount of, information that we get, the volume of information we get, regardless of what your political affiliation is, um, we get bombarded. We get bombarded. And sometimes the world does a really good job of beating us up, that we have to do what we can on an individual basis to rebalance that, to look at things perhaps a little bit differently. you mentioned about, okay, what what can we do and, and what are some of the things that we can do? Well, you know, just off the top, I think it's I think it's recognizing where we are, you know, recognizing what's going on. Do we fly on autopilot all the time? Or do we do a little bit of um, maybe this is maybe this is good at the beginning of twenty twenty three that we reevaluate a little bit, that we yeah. we think about where we are and not only in our in our business lives, but you know, maybe we look at Key areas in our life, uh, family, our social relationships, what we do for fun, what we do for leisure. Um, do I have, you know, things in my life where I'm uh, building on personal growth somehow? So those are all really important. What am I doing with my health? And if I'm getting into some bad habits, maybe again, it's time for me to, to readjust or, or to think about that. Um, a good activity that I do with with people is I get them, get them thinking about what's important with you. You know, what is the values that you have? And once people can identify what values are important, then the logical next question to that would be, okay, well, how are you acting on those? You know, how do those, how do those play out? Let's come back to that because I think that's hugely important. I have that in my notes for you today Okay, about sure. the difference in the order of operation, if I can put it into mathematical terms, between values, systems, and goals, uh, because I think people uh, do those backwards, is my theory in life. Yeah. But, but, but something out of what you just said that I wanted to ask you, actually, there was two primary things. But one is you, you said just broadly that people in uh, your practice are stressed about things, perhaps more so than normal. But are they stressed yeah. about the same things? Or because one of my um, 
amateur theories, if I can put it that way, is that there's things that happen in our life that properly suck and should cause us stress. But there's also a psychological element of us just deciding we're going to be stressed and we go out and find something to be stressed about. And it doesn't really matter what it is. Yeah. Does that make any sense to you? And and, and if if that were true, then I think someone like you would see people being stressed, but about different things, just things like, why am I stressed about fentanyl? It doesn't like, I'm not taking drugs. I don't have a kid taking drugs. I mean, she's nine. I I guess I would worry about that soon, but I just think it's a horrible story that just turns my stomach. But anyways, you understand my point. I, I think there's an element of something else is going on in our lives and we're going to be stressed and the topic that we're stressed about maybe doesn't matter as much as we think. I have I have some clients that I work with, and um, they've said to me that they're trying to limit um, some of that noise purposely that comes in their life. So they're replacing, perhaps, the news before they go to bed at night with something else. Yeah. And I give them the thumbs up for that because, you know, even when you even when you think about, you know, when our kids were little, Scott, like when, you know, what, what parents do, what do we do when our when our kids are getting ready for bed? Right. We 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 go through this process where we try to ratchet them down. And, you know, what will we do? We'll read a book. Maybe it's bath time. Yep. And then it's bedtime. Maybe a cuddle and then into bed, right? Um, but as adults, we don't do that. We'll watch. We'll watch the news, which is probably the most violent show that we can watch. Yep. We'll be on our screens. Jump in bed and we're flip through Twitter. Late. <laughs> right. I mean, we're going to be checking that stuff, right? So maybe just being more mindful of that, like checking. Um, check, checking in with yourself and saying, okay, are, am I doing some things right now that maybe really don't help me? I'm getting some lousy sleep at night and I'm not sure why. Well, maybe those are some of the things that we need to check in on. Um, you know, am I, am I getting the sleep that I need? Back to basics, right? Yep. Am I getting the sleep I need? Am I eating properly? Am I moving properly? Just back to basics. But to your point again, um, I think I think your uh, your question could be answered by just saying about perception. You know, there's a saying about um, the the only thing that matters. I'm paraphrasing is the way that I perceive a stress. Because I think if ten people were um, surveyed, that you'd probably get ten different answers slightly about things that stress them out. Right. Some yes. people, you probably know some of them too, Scott, they, they're pretty good. Like they're pretty cool cucumbers. They don't, they don't really get stressed about much. So I think that idea of perception is very important. How do I perceive that? And that comes down to a lot of the fear that we have. How is this fear that we start to accumulate? How does that manifest? I think it's the accumulation issue. I, I think that just really resonates yeah. To me, which sort of leads me to my next observation about what you were saying before, a question, which is, you know, the role of personal confidence and belief in yourself 
And how do you rebuild that after, as you said, you've been whacked really hard? And I think that's a huge issue. I was talking with um, yesterday a friend of mine who is one of, how do I say this without giving too much away? Let's say one of North America's top finance lawyers, um, serious firm, serious lawyer, very senior guy. I won't even tell you what country he's in. But this particular topic came up and he said to me, you know, he had learned over his career as he was uh, growing and learning and overcoming challenges and thrown into the fire as a young lawyer, that when he faced these huge, unfamiliar, uh, stressful situations, that he would become short, angry, frustrated, snap at people, and ineffective. Which, if you knew this fellow, was not him at all. He's, he's the nicest guy on the face of the earth. Uh, very caring, very empathetic. And he was he was then mad at himself for that reaction. And the next day, he would wake up and because he was in the practice of law, you, you can't really ignore the problem. <laughs> I mean, you're being paid to tackle that problem. And so he would get through right. it. And then he would learn that he was capable of getting through it. And then he'd be mad at himself for his psychological reaction the day before, after he had faced his fears. And I said, you know, I, I know exactly what you mean. I, I've, I feel exactly the same way as I grew up, and, and today even, as I, as I face things. But I have a different reaction. I don't become short and angry. In fact, I've always been someone who siloed things in my life, and they're pretty hard silos. And so basically, yeah. I ignore them until they get worse. That's my strategy. And until I'm really faced to deal with it. And then after I do deal yeah. with it, I have the same reaction. It's like, oh, that wasn't nearly as bad as I thought. And I should have fixed it, you know, six months ago. And so it always makes you laugh because people say to me, Scott, you, you know, as we're discussing a difficult topic with a professional, with a, a lawyer, or a doctor, or somebody, a tax person, I said, well, yeah, you can deal with this though because you're not the type of person to bury your head in the sand. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, yes, I am. This is exactly what I am. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I don't tell them that. But that. Yeah, but you know what's funny? Funny Scott, you, you you say that, but you know who the worst people are for taking advice? People like doctors. Yes, they're horrible, right? Yeah. And somebody somebody that's a big player and they've gotten to the top of their food chain. Okay, I'm I'm the one that's supposed to dispense all of this knowledge, right? So it's very difficult to convince somebody, for example, about taking care of themselves, because why, why would I do that? Because I'm always taking care of everybody else, yep. right? It's not, it's not their pattern of behavior. So I think that that's part of it. And, you know, some of this stuff, right? Like um, my wife and I, we, we started reading this, uh, this book called The Daily Stoic. I don't know if you're familiar with this. I've heard Ryan of it. Holiday's, yeah. Yeah. Ryan Holiday is the author. And what, what I love about it, it's a one-pager every day. So my wife, Rose, and I, we grab a coffee, and, and she's gotten into this meditation in the morning, and I'm, I'm out taking the dog for a walk, and, and in a way, that's, that's mindful, and that's, that's part of my meditation as well. But, you know, we, re we regroup, and we read a, um, a passage from the Daily Stoic. And some of these stresses, some of these things have been around for 2,000 years. And people were thinking about, of course, they're different, but people were thinking about um, human nature 
and the things that would bother them yeah. that long ago. What Holiday does is he puts it in a modern day context sure. so that we can relate to it. Hey, this this is exactly what I'm going through. And it validates us because this is part of being a human being. They, they were dealing with this before. So what are your strategies? Like if, if I were a client and I came to you and I said, I want to, I want to change. But if I, if I don't believe in myself, if I don't have the confidence that I can go over that wall, to me, that has to be a starting point. Right. And, and if yeah. you've been beat up, um, if you've been whacked is the word that we've been using, which is funny. I'd actually written that down in my notes, the word whacked, but you know, if you've gone through a particularly stressful event, which could be as much, uh, it, it could be, I don't want to say as much or as little, but it, it, it could be, it could be globally pushed on you like a pandemic where you've been separated from your friends and your family or your business failed uh, because you were running a restaurant and everything was closed for two years. Yeah. And you just lose sight of yourself and your confidence. Like what, what strategies would you advise to start working on that? Yeah, that's a great, uh, that's a great question. You know, um, I'll go back to some of the things that I've mentioned before. Um, just to get an assessment with people on the way that they perceive their situation. So um, we talked about values and we talked about how do we clarify those, you know? So what is it that, what is it about that stress that a, you can feel playing out in your life? How does it play out in my body? Cause if I feel that somehow that stress or that anxiety, it is going to come out in my body somewhere. That was, you know, that's all around the work of somebody like Bessel van der Kolk, who wrote, um, who wrote The Body Keeps the Score, which was on the New York Times bestseller. So if we're stressed out and we're anxious or we're feeling depressed, that is going to manifest itself somewhere in our body. So that's a good, that's a good question to, to start. What are you noticing? Well, okay, I'm not eating like I should be. I'm, I'm not sleeping right. I'm I'm short with people. I'm barking I'm barking like yeah. crazy uh, with my colleagues or with my clients at work, and I don't like it. And I'm getting pretty lousy feedback right now. Um, where am I getting that information from? Where am I getting my information from? Is it overload? Am I overloading myself? Do I need to keep it simple somewhere? And if I'm going to improve different parts of my life whether it's my health or my social relationships again or or what I do for fun, where am I at now? What's falling off the table? Am I putting all of my eggs in one basket? Or am I actually, and this is a, it's, it's, it's used so often, it's cliche, but do I have that balance? Do I have that work-life balance where I'm, dispersing some of those energies that I have into different areas of my life? Or am I putting all of my eggs in that career piece of the pie and I'm neglecting other parts of my life? I think that's something that people have to ask themselves. If, if um, the lack of confidence and stresses manifest themselves in the body, which I think is what you just said, does it work in reverse as well? If you work on your body, you know, through fitness, healthy eating, um, <clears throat> whatever other mechanisms, 
Yeah. Does that help to deal with the lack of confidence and the stresses? So does it flow both ways? I guess is my question. And I note that I, I know that you're a fan of the 12 Rules for Life uh, Jordan Peterson book, as yeah. am I. And I think the first chapter in that, you'll remind me if that's true, is to stand up straight with your shoulders back, right? Which is really yeah. about the chemical benefits of pride in, in yourself, confidence, um, presenting yourself to the world as someone who isn't beat up, basically. But I, to answer your question, I think I think what's important to remember is that quite often action precedes emotion. So if I think about mm, that yeah. and I think about I am just, it doesn't feel right, but I'm just going to do it, I, whatever it is, I don't feel like connecting uh, with all of those people at the party, but I'm going to do it anyways. I don't feel like exercising. That's hard work. I'd rather be uh, curled up in my, in my, you know, in my comforter in the, you know, in the morning rather than, than, than getting out there and going for a run. Right. Yep. But I'm just going to do it. I think Nike, Nike symbol is, and, and, and slogan is fantastic. I do it. And then I gauge what, my emotional reaction to that is Scott, there's, there's people that, um, to answer your question, can I go in reverse? Well, there's people that start an exercise program and that might be under like supervision. It's great if we have a accountability partner. That's what James clear talks about in atomic habits is having somebody that's, uh, somebody that's going to help you that right. you're accountable to, yep. but I'm going to start walking and I'm not running marathons here. I'm just going to do something as simple as walking at a brisk at a brisk pace. Well, we know that people who engage in moderate exercise have a 26% reduction in their depression symptoms. And that's just by walking, simply by walking three wow. times a week. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty ama- it's pretty amazing. So I could manage. My- you almost wonder if that's the the exercise part of walking or the meditative side of walking or both. I think it's a little, I, yeah, I think it's a bit of both, right? Yep. So uh, let's not even talk about depression or anxiety. Let's not talk about stress management. Just get out there and start walking. See what yep. happens. See how yep. you feel. So, and just to add to that, some people, you know, some people do, you know, little assessments about how they're feeling. There's different assessments that maybe a doc would use or, or, or somebody in a, uh, psychological context, and we can sort of get a pretest and a post-test, and then do a pretest, see how they're feeling, and then come back to that six weeks later after an exercise program, and do the test again. And um, uh, maybe a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, yeah. but people will generally tell me if they're if they're watching their exercise a little bit closer, eating a little bit better. All of these things are correlated. They sleep a little bit better. They don't feel as stressed out. And they don't feel those symptoms that were as strong maybe six weeks previous. It's pretty amazing. I, I think it's incredible. And I, my personal view, unscientific as it might be, is that there's clearly a physical benefit to that and that the, the, psycho, the psychology is tied to the physical guaranteed somebody had a um a study 
I'm going to forget it, but I, I, I forget what the study was, but there was, um, it had something to do with the heart feeling emotion, but it was scientifically proved. And that really the brain is not just here. And for the audio, I'm pointing at my brain. The, yeah. the, the brain is, is your whole body. It's all an integrated system. And so I do think right. that the, the physical side of this clearly has an impact. But I also think it doesn't matter what it is, Kevin. If you, if you set yourself an objective or goal to get out and walk every day, that's your system, then you do that. That's winning momentum. That's the name of this podcast, right? It's you accomplish yeah. something. You're not, you know, you've, you've won, you know, which is the 12 rule for life. Get up and make your bed. Just do something. (laughs) Absolutely. Like a lot of this stuff, I think Scott goes back to, I think what you're getting into is you're talking about habits, you know, when, what habits do we have good or bad? You know, like, um, if my habit is when work ends, that's when I go for a run. That's when I go to the gym. That's when I meditate or do yoga. Or do I just go home, see that my work day's done, finished, and as a reward, I'm going to pour myself a big one or smoke some weed because I reward myself. So, I mean, habits could be functional or, or dysfunctional, right? Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I to me, that's important. What's the routine? What's the habit? Right. So, to me, habits are everything. Uh, absolutely everything. And I guess that's where it leads into sort of the next question I have for you. The next sort of uh, area of a topic is: I want to change. I want to. Let's just pick pick a a, a a random goal. Not not to me personally, but okay. You you meet a client and they want to. They feel dissatisfied with their career. They're a little bit listless and they've also put on 20 pounds and they want to lose that 20 pounds because that's a typical New Year's Eve goal. I'm going to yeah. I'm going to lose 20 pounds in 2023. And then statistically speaking, they don't. They, you know, they start off at the gym for the first two weeks and then they yeah. stop. But I have to tell you that when I was younger, I did that many, many, many times in my life. And I think that the I'm going to throw it out to you, but the answer to affecting change in yourself or in your business, which is a lot of what we talk about, because businesses have habits too, right? Their policies, procedures, they could be written. They may, may be unwritten, but they are habits. They're responses to cues. Um, I think tackling the the habit loop is the answer to everything in my mind. And I, I believe that a lot, you know, and, and sometimes those habits, you know, we think about even back to when we were kids again, like what were the habits that we had? Most of them probably aren't that great, but, um, you know, that, that sort of you know, gets me thinking about, okay, well, I can't just pull habits out of thin air. I need to, I need to develop that or that has to be nurtured somehow, right? So even in my, my business life, what do I do? What's a time waster for me? Um, if I reflect on that, what's going to make me better? What's going to, what's going to move that dial? Even if it's just a little bit, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to maybe make my, make my goals um, too expensive. I'm going to be overwhelmed by that, but how can I, 
how can I improve just a little bit? And I think part of that too, Scott, is um, the whole idea of, you know, whether it's professional development, whether I, I have, I have mentoring opportunities or a chance to speak with somebody who does very similar work that I yeah. do, because it's very difficult to understand unless you're doing the work, you don't really get it because, because of the complexities and the nuances of what you do. Somebody that, that does do the work that gets it, that understands that makes it easier in a way, you know, they get it you know, and they can validate you. But I think often we need, we need a coach. We need a mentor. You think about, you think about athletes, right? And, and this comes back to accountability. Whether, well, right. Yeah. Yeah. You, everybody that's going to the Olympics has a small army of people that have helped them along the way, or that might be with them. You know, so you have people that, that help you with nutrition or the mental game, mental part of the game or the techniques or the training that you're doing. But, but Kevin, like apart else. from the accountability, and, and I agree with you when it comes to athletics, but, but one of the beautiful thing about being an Olympic athlete, as if I would know, is, is you have a very clear sense of purpose. Otherwise, you right. wouldn't be there. And yeah. you can't affect change because when, when when someone comes to you and says, I want to I want to change, then the answer is to what? And if you don't have a sense right. of values and purpose, you don't have a direction. And if you don't have that, yeah. it's hard to change. Right? It's right. hard to change whether someone's yelling yeah. at you to hold you accountable or not. It's still hard. And if you don't have a clear sense of purpose and value, you're not going to do it. Yeah, you know, Stephen Covey talked about that a lot. In, in 1989, when he wrote the uh, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, right? He talked about um, what's your compass, what's your you know what is your north star, what's your gui- what's your guiding principle. For some people, it might be a philosophy, or you know maybe there's some kind of a, a, a religious affiliation or right. an idea, right? Um, but I, I think I think Covey's um, mantra is very applicable to what's going on today. Do you put first things first? I mean, that, that's, that's all about values, right? Um, be proactive. Think about, think about the end game. What's the blueprint? You know, what is the blueprint? How are we going to get there? Those, those things are Really, seek, seek first to understand. Right. Maybe we do a little bit too much talking and we're not listening well enough. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So if I just bring this to our hypothetical example of someone says they want to lose 10 pounds in the new year, and that's a goal that is um, separated from, is that the word I'm looking for? Detached. That's a better word. That is detached from any purpose or system, it's a goal that's destined for failure in my mind. It's not attacking the habit. So what I try to think about, and you can add to this or correct me where I'm wrong, what I try to teach is, you know, you need to you need to first start with values, which is a purpose. And so my value or my purpose, my personal one in that situation is not to lose weight, not to bring my blood sugar down, but rather 
I'm older and I have a nine-year-old daughter and I want to live a longer, healthier life. Right. So it's a, it's an undefined direction. I call it. You're, you're in the middle of a dark woods and I'm like, I want to head over here. That's where I'm going to try to go. Okay. And you need to start with that. Right. And then you move from that to systems. And as Scott Adams would say, who I listen to every day, systems over goals. And a system is, is a, a new habit. It's changing the habit loop of trigger, uh, trigger action reward, routine reward. That's the yeah. word I was looking for. Yeah. Right. And so you yeah. create a system. And so my system, I might have several systems to, to head me in the direction of that value, but my system might be. Um, I'm going to go walk the dog every day, as my friend Kevin just told me to do, right? That would be a system. And then a goal, to me, falls out from all of that. How might I measure whether my system is heading me in the direction that I want to go? Well, maybe I would measure that by, you know, am I going to lose 10 pounds in the next you know, whatever period of time, right? And if my system... yeah. yeah. But but I'm not winning and losing on the goal. I'm winning and losing on the system, right? So I have, I have direction. I have changed my habit because I have purpose to do that. And the goal is not the purpose of all this. The goal is just a measuring tool to see whether my system's working. And if it's not working, change my system. So it's heading me right. more in that direction. And what I feel like is that people are like, hey, hypersensitive on goals that need to be specific. You need to focus on that. You need to manifest it. And, and my problem with goals is, is you spend your entire life in a sense of failure because I want to lose 10 pounds. Well, I haven't met it yet, so I'm a failure. Oh, tomorrow, I haven't met it yet. I'm a failure. Oh, tomorrow, I haven't met it yet, and I'm a failure. And then one day, I've lost that 10 pounds, and guess what? I don't have a goal anymore. So I just start failing again because I set a new goal, right? I, I agree with you 100%. A lot of yeah. stuff coming out these days, right, Scott, with with uh, with goal setting. Um, there's, there's a place for it, and I think it's important, but I think the whole thing about the system the process is important. Like, um, hey, you've engaged in some pretty crazy sports, right? Um, but you're also you. you I know you, I know you follow hockey, and you're you're keen on that. So yep. you know whether it's golf or hockey. If I'm going to, um, if I'm going to get better at that in an athletic context again, I better look at I better look at my system. I better look at my process of how I'm going to get there. If I want to be a a four handicapper and I'm an eight or a 10 now, how am I going to get there? You know, what am I going to do? And I think you're right about goals. I think, I think um, we get let down time and time again, based on goals. So to your 10 pounds example, well, well, what if I lost nine and a half? You're a failure. I still, I still failed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I made some progress, but I still failed. I do this. I do exactly that in business. I do exactly what I'm saying and I avoid what you're saying in business all the time. People, you know, we're trying to affect rapid change and substantial change within the company. And like, okay, well, we need a budget. Well, no, we specifically do not need a budget because a budget is a, is a corporate mathematical goal. 
It's like, you know, mm -hmm. I want my revenue to go up 10%. I want to lose 10 pounds, right? That's not what we, right. okay. Um, our fill rate and, and um, maybe that's getting too technical, but I worked with a company a couple of years ago that was a huge successful turnaround and their fill rate, which means if they're big box retailer customer, pick on, I don't know, Home Depot, right? They issue an order. How often did you, did you ship them that order in full on time? Right. So if you sent them, right. uh, they order 100 units, you sent them 100 units within your policy, that's 100% fill rate. If you sent them 90 units within the time frame, that's a 90% fill rate. And and in that business, if you don't have a 95 to 98% fill rate, you're not a supplier to that retailer anymore. Right. Yeah. And so I step yeah. into this yeah. company and I say, well, what's our fill rate? And the answer was like 30%. It's like, I can't even imagine that you're still supplying these customers. It wasn't Home Depot, by the way, that was just an example. And so the fill rate's deplorable. Now, if you go to a reasonably sophisticated management team in trouble with a 30% fill rate and you say, okay, well, we need to do better. Then people are going to put up their hand and they're going to say, okay, we can get to 50% this year, right? And yeah. Because that's the budgeting mentality. And I say, bullshit. Our corporate value is 100% fill rate. Every decision we make is going to be tied to are we moving ourselves closer to 100% fill rate, right? And we're not yeah. winning or losing on 100%. I don't expect us ever to be at 100% fill rate. You say that up front. That's not the point. The point is it's a value. And we're going, not a goal, it's a value. And everything we do moves us in that direction. And we took that company to a 98% fill rate in one year, in 12 months. And we became... Profitable. And if we'd set a goal of 50%, I guarantee you we would have been at 45. Do you, uh, I got a question for you, Scott. Like when you're looking at something like fill rate, do you, um, do you present different ideas to, uh, to companies based on other companies' successes? Like would you say, okay, I'm going to give you an example of something that I've worked through already that's going to provide us with a model of what they have done specifically. And we're going to try to replicate some of the things that they have done in order to get to that, that right. level of being, you know, of excellence, you know? No, I don't. And, and I'm not saying I shouldn't. I'm just saying I don't uh, because I've been doing this 30 years with hundreds of companies. And so I have my own little database in my head of, and a yeah. methodology, frankly, to go, uh, to go about these things. And, and, you know, that's why I started doing content to try to help uh, people do better in business. You know, um, one of the things I want to talk to you about today was the psychological impact of side hustles and fulfilling your passion and uh, what people are being sold on social media um, mm -hmm. to compensate for being lost and having a lack of purpose in their careers, right? And they're being pitched freedom, uh, getting away from the man, uh, passive income, not having to work too hard. And when you look at the hard numbers, Kevin, in, in business, you know, in the U.S., um, new business applications peaked late into the pandemic. So let's call that last year. At about 500,000 new businesses per month, call it 6 million per year new businesses 
90% of those new businesses will fail in the sense that they will never, ever, ever, ever pay their founder a living wage. Ever. Mm. You can't eat, pay your mortgage, have a normal life out of that business. And of the ones that do manage to pay a a reasonable wage or salary to their founder, 80% of those never create wealth, intergenerational wealth. In other words, you don't create a bunch of value. You're not able to sell your business, become, you know, relatively wealthy enough to pay for your kid's education or whatever that might be, Mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. Or at least to pass down some funds. So the failure rate is astronomical, which no one ever talks about when they're pitching people, go off and do these, find some balance and follow your passion and get passive income. And so just to tie back to your, your question to me, what I've learned, one of the things I've learned is that dealing with businesses that are in trouble is exactly the same as dealing with high growth companies. And the reason for this, you're going to love this, Kevin, because the 12 rules for life, a dirty little secret is that I steal all that content and repurpose it for businesses instead of individuals, because it's exactly the same. And troubled businesses are chaos over order, and high growth companies are chaos over order. And you need to find that balance between order and creativity and and I've created unknowingly, but just through trial and error over 30 years, that's what I've learned. And that's why I try to come forward with this content, with the winning momentum content, is to is to apply that to a a business scenario. And so, yeah. so no, I don't look at third party or external examples. I just draw on my own experience, but it's all the same stuff. And, and I've also learned, Kevin, that in, in medium and small businesses, so, so businesses that don't have a lot of employees and systems built um, where they're overly reliant on one individual or a group, a small group of individuals, um, that the personal psychology side of this is a huge impact on business results, right? Can you overcome your fear as an entrepreneur? Yeah. How do you affect change as an entrepreneur? Are you a leader? How do you lead people? Are you a tyrant or do you try to empower people, right? So Can I jump in? I, yeah, I just want to jump in there for a second, yeah. Scott. That, that's interesting because I think that, that becomes a culture question. You know, how do you, how do you have people buying into that? You know, because we all, we create stories about not only ourselves, but the organizations that we live in. So how do how do we create those stories? Because we do have a tendency, there's a psychological tendency to discount discount the positives, maximize the risk. You know, mm. some for very good reason, right? But we we think about the risk and we can talk ourselves personally or organizationally out of I think almost out of anything. So I think that becomes a cultural question is how do we how do we then uh, uh, create a feeling that we're all going in the same direction here? And this is about leadership too, right? How, how are we all going in the same direction here? How do we keep everybody on board that they that there is some buy-in there, you know, that we well, are going in the right direction? Uh, I think turnarounds, uh, does, uh, turnarounds are 100% about culture. So you're dead on, right? Okay. And, mm-hmm. and, 
you know, by definition, what they're doing isn't working. Otherwise, they wouldn't be a troubled business. They wouldn't be talking to me. Therefore, they need to change. Well, that begs the question, as we said before, if you want to change, in what direction? And to do that, yeah. you need values. So I talked about this fill rate example, and I think you'll you'll like this because it ties into the conversation. What I did there is I said, okay, here is a, a value, 100% fill rate. We'll never achieve it. I don't care if we achieve it. That's a value with which we use as a very limited number of values to make every single decision that we make. Does that help fill rates? I, that- I can see some of the eyes rolling at that point. Uh, not really. Not really. Like um, like at uh, one of my companies, Equip Innovation, I don't mention my clients' uh, companies, but I can mention my companies that I own. Yeah. Bought um, it out of bankruptcy. Very troubled entity. And I said, here's our four corporate values. One is teamwork. We work together as a team. Um, the second is integrity, which broke down into openness and, and honesty. The third mm-hmm. is perfect deliveries. And the fourth is perfect quality. Do I expect you to have perfect deliveries? No, I don't. But do I expect you to make decisions and act in such a way that has integrity and teamwork to head in the direction of being perfect on deliveries? Yes, that's what we are as a company. And it's not up for debate. Those are our values. If you don't want to buy into that, don't be here. Don't be here. Like I'm not into negotiating this. This is the values that I'm putting my money behind. And so at the the fill rate example, the client company, I said, we're going to strive for for a perfect fill rate. And if we get to 60% when we used to be at 30, I don't see that as a failure. If we get to 98% instead of 100, I don't obviously don't see that as a failure. The point is, this is something that we value in the true definition of value. And then what I did is I said, okay, well, why aren't we achieving these fill rates? Like what's the low hanging fruit on this? And the answer is, was in that situation, attainment. Attainment is somebody came up with a schedule. This is what you have to produce today back on the line. And then you produced it. Well, that's hundred percent attainment. If you produced half of it, that's 50% attainment. And in manufacturing, particularly that type of manufacturing, I won't disclose, but in that type of manufacturing, if you only made 50% of what you're supposed to do today, then tomorrow you're like, what do I do now? Do I make a, am I scheduling 150%? Like, how, how do I catch up on this problem? Right. And it just compounds immediately. So attainment. Okay. What are the reasons that we didn't produce what we were supposed to today? What are the possible reasons? Well, the machines broke down. That's maintenance. People didn't show up to run the machines. That's HR. We actually made it, but the product was rejected out of quality. There's a quality problem, right? Uh, Materials handling. Everybody was there. The machines were ready. The quality people were there to check, but we didn't have the inputs to go into the system because no one figured that out. And so what I did was identify the habit loop, which is where I was heading with all of this corporately. Okay. And the habit was because it used to be owned by a tyrant. Not my client. He bought it from the tyrant and then was lost. Um, But the tyrant used to be out there back by himself and he cheated and um, uh, was doing things that weren't legal to actually get the numbers up. And of course, my guy stopped doing that immediately and then found all the real problems. But because he was a tyrant, they would start the day to produce, they would have a failure, and then the employees 
would scatter and hide and no one would try to fix the problem. Okay. So yeah. trigger the line shut down routine. Everybody stuck their head in the sand and hid reward. They weren't yelled at and reprimanded by HR, <laughs> right? Trigger routine yeah. reward. So you can't change mm -hmm. the trigger. It's the trigger. It's got to stay the same. What you, mm -hmm. what you want to do is define the new routine. This is the habit. This is what I want you to do when that happens. And you need to change the reward. So what we said was, was okay, if we didn't produce what we're supposed to do today, that's the trigger. What I want you to do is fill out this form because it's now a positive. Fill out this form and tell us what went wrong and what you personally will go do to fix it next time so it never happens again. And then the reward was an acknowledgement, a scoreboard in the back. Your participation goes into your HR file for raises at the end. And like It just turns the whole thing into a positive. And what we well, it's, it's, yeah, it's validating what people do, and they're taking some ownership of that, right? Yeah, yeah, it's empowering, yeah. and and we created like uh, six hundred fixes in about three months, and then the whole system fell apart over volume, and it didn't matter anymore because culturally, people started to work together. They took ownership, they were empowered, and the whole business just fixed itself. Like it was, it was amazing because of the habit loop. Yeah, that's that's very cool. That's very cool. Um, and, and you were talking about confidence, right? Like that would just logically fall right into that, right? It, it, people aren't doing high fives when when uh, their growth is like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're not they're not going to work every day getting excited about that. But but to be part of something where they feel like they're part of a team or they have some input into that, that's when people really get excited. To me, I think that the confidence comes from momentum, which is why this podcast is called that. You know, and, and yeah. so what is momentum? And I describe it in a business sense, probably a personal sense as well. You could comment better on that than I could, but in a business sense, it's just you as an employee wake up in the morning knowing that today is going to be a little bit better than it was yesterday. Right? You yeah. have positive momentum. And if you have that in a business environment, your business will attract resources both human and financial. People want to work for a company, even if it's a shit company, as long as it's moving in the right direction, that's exciting, right? People want to work for that. Absolutely. People want to invest in that. Or you can have a great company moving in the wrong direction. People want to get off that ship, right? It, oh, I think, I think um, there's not a great big distinction between uh, personal growth and organizational exactly. growth. I think I think that when you think of a, a term like best version, what's the best version of either myself or the organization that I work for? And if I could move every day, when I'm thinking if there's something that I can do or contribute to that vision that moves me closer to best version, then I'm doing something, right? And then all the authors would, would point to the same thing. You want to get a little bit better each day. You don't want to revert back to where you were, and you want to feel like you're moving ahead. I, I would say uh, you you also repeat those patterns that get you motivated and keep you moving. Um, I think that's confidence in a nutshell. I agree. I, I think that's yeah. great. Uh, we're getting. Uh probably right around our time limit right now. I had other things to talk to you about, but we can move on and wrap this thing up. Is there anything else you wanted to tackle before we? Um, 
um, I did want to talk about um, just just very briefly is um, and maybe you I don't know if you could comment on that, Scott, but you know just some things that have happened post pandemic as well and what's happening in you know what's happening in the work world and um, the idea of um, this great resignation. Right. Um, that's that's one of the terms that you hear all the time. You're trying to get me re shadow banned in uh, 2023. <laughs> <laughs> um, silent, silent resignation. I'm just going to leave. Quiet right? quitting. Yeah. Quiet quitting. Uh, presenteeism. Um, uh, independent contractors. Uh, you, you, you know, you mentioned it before about side hustles. Some of the changing demographics that we're seeing at work, whether that's you know based on uh, based on gender, based on uh, immigration, uh, the idea of work life balance, and you know I think I think within there, um, from my point of view, I think we've seen a lot of changes you know post pandemic, and, and as I mentioned, I think a lot of these things are are lagging and that they're going to catch up to us. We've certainly seen that with individuals' mental health. There is a spike in self-harm. There's a spike in suicide. There's a spike in Huge. in people that have anxiety. So those things those things are there, and I think organizations have to be able to address those. Before we talk about organizations related to all of that, let me bounce my thinking on this issue. Um, Everything that you just described, the seeking balance, not chasing the buck, um, loneliness, increased suicide rates, increased drug use and substance abuse, um, side hustles, passion, like all of that to me are symptoms of greater value needs not being met coming out of the pandemic. Yeah. Social interaction, purpose, right? The whole idea of this is what my life was about. Got the crap beat out of it during the pandemic. You lose touch and Mm -hmm. connections with family and friends. Many people did. And now you start to, as a symptom of that, you start to, I don't have a purpose anymore. So therefore, why am I working my butt off? And and that's why I'm depressed. And and then we start looking for solutions on the symptoms as opposed to on the problem. Right. 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 And, and mm-hmm. we're not addressing the problem. So this this same I started off this show uh talking about my conversation with a continent leading lawyer in the in the finance area. And the other thing that we were talking yeah. about was he said, yeah, you know, like it's things are starting to come back. We now have a rule where the non-partner staff, the associates at the big law firm have to be in the office three days a week. And they're, they're, you know, they're getting a lot of pushback on that. Um, but uh, F them is basically what he said to me. He didn't they didn't use just the uh, the F word, just just the F letter. <laughs> he said, uh, you know, this is just the way it is, and yeah. they're going to have to suck it up. And to, to which I asked him, I said, Hey, I have a question. How many 
of those associates come in five or six days a week or seven days a week, even though the rule is three? Because that's what I would have done. Guaranteed you. <laughs> guaranteed. If I knew the rule was three, I would be there every day, right? Uh, because who's going to get you're promoted? You're, you're a competitive guy. But you can't be competitive without purpose. Yeah, true. Right? It's not about making yeah. more money. It's that if you're competitive, it's because you see a game, you see a purpose, and you want to right. win at that game. However, you've defined right. that for yourself, right? right? It's not because I want That's to just right. beat down this other person in the cubicle next to me. It's it's not about them at all. I wouldn't even think about them. I would just think, hey, I can game this system and overachieve, right? And who yeah. – I don't understand yeah. young professionals in that environment who – who think that they're going to get equal promotion, equal raises, make partner when they're the ones not showing up five days a week and their colleague is showing up five days a week for nothing other than the fact that it's the person that showed up every day that went out for the beer with the partner at night and developed that human connection. And also, if part of your excuse, not excuse, that's a terrible word, but if part of your rationale for not being all the time is more balance of social connections. It is the social connections in being in that environment that fed all of us back, you know, before this yeah. all happened. So yeah. I, I, I think all of those things that you mentioned are, are symptoms of just losing who we are and what our purpose is because we've all been whacked in the last couple of years. And I think mm-hmm. those people haven't recovered. Like I, I, I did a, I was laughing at you or teasing you about shadow banning in 2023 because I did a show in 2022 and I think it was just 10 minutes that I mentioned the word quiet kidding. And oh my goodness, the, you know, old white man is forcing us to be slave labor, like kind of attitude. And I was like, yeah. it wasn't my point at all. My point is if you're 25 and you're at a university and you're starting your career, that's the time when you're supposed to put the work in. You're supposed to pay your dues because everything in life is about compounding. It's building a base and going on that and building, you know, it, it becomes exponential, your success, yeah. right? Yeah. And if you never yeah. bother to put in your base, what does that mean for the rest of your life? I think we're confusing hard work with work-life balance. So if I'm going to have work-life balance, that somehow gets me off the hook. I don't care who you are and what field you work in. If you are a janitor on the shop floor, you're the CEO of a company, there is no excuse for you not working hard. I don't care what you do. That is a given. If you're going to be successful and people define that in different ways you have to work hard and i think i think you're you're right so i think a bit of that's being lost here or that debate or that discussion is being lost here about hard work yeah and, and i should say i i'm you look at if you're young professional or just a young just a high school graduate and you've you've gone into yeah. work and you're making x dollars an hour I'm completely fine with you having a separate entrepreneurial side hustle dream business that you want to create and 
you know, doing your seven and a half, eight hours for your hourly wage and then going to another environment and working till two in the morning on the next thing. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. fine with that. That is paying your dues, right? I'm, I'm perfectly good with that. Yeah. What I'm not good with this is this idea of, of, of work-life balance and passive income and just chilling and being an influencer. I'm not at all. I'm not okay with that at all. And I recognize the work-life balance. You're, you're going to push back on me, Kevin. And, and I think that's going to be a definitional thing. But to me, there is no such thing as balance. There's only a choice. And that choice can change, you know, an hour from now. But if, if you're working on your business, you're not working on your family. And if you're working with your family, if you're spending time mm-hmm. with your family and you're present in the moment, you're not working on your business. And somebody else who's competing with you is working on their business. I can promise you that. So are you mm-hmm. okay with that? And if you are okay with that, that's fine. But don't delude yourself into thinking that you've pulled off some sort of magical balance and everything's going to be great on all fronts because it will not be. Guaranteed. Yeah. Okay, so that, that, gets me, that, that also gets me thinking about efficiencies. How much, how much you're, are you engaging in time wasters and not being efficient about the amount of work that you're putting in? Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, managers. You know, people that are people that are running the the, the businesses, they got a, they got a tough job, right? So, I mean, they're asked to to regularly check in with people, develop that culture, um, um, see how people are doing, do coaching and mentoring along the way, providing flexibility in people's work schedules. They're, they're also supposed to model uh, what this is supposed to look like, set those expectations and, and, and you know, things that they're working on, um, encourage a time off, create culture. Like it just seems, it just seems like, that is under the microscope now or more so than ever, you know, and just recognize that's, that's a tough call. That, that, that is tough to do as somebody that is a leader in our organization. Yeah. Look at, I, I, I just know that I've never met, talked to, or read anything about an ultra successful person in any endeavor, but someone who is the elite of their particular field they never talk about balance ever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's about focus. So don't tell me that you can grow up to be a billionaire and have work-life balance. That's not going to happen. No. Right? You, you, I agree. And, but you can be present for your family. You're just giving up something and you need to be okay with that. So again, to me, it comes back with purpose. What is my purpose? So for me, I want to be, ultra successful in business and I do pretty well, but I've put two major limitations on myself. One is I agreed for a lifestyle for my family to live in a very remote area on top of a mountain where it takes me a four hour drive just to get to an airport. Okay. That's a handicap in terms of my business success. Um, and I've also, I have a nine year old daughter and since the day she was born, I made a commitment to myself that I would be home 50% of the time and available. No matter what my travel schedule, I will. If I'm away yeah. for a week, I'm home for a week, and I've done that. I've never violated that. I've done way more than that during the pandemic, obviously because I wasn't traveling. But I could be on a plane every day in my life working, 
you know, if I didn't have that family, but I made that commitment to yeah. myself, not even to her, yeah. just to myself, I'll be home. So I'm okay with that because that's my purpose, because that's the value I set up for myself. And I work within those constraints and I recognize that I may do really well, but maybe I'm not going to get to hear, you know, and on the audio podcast, I'm, you know, using my hands all over the place, but I'm, I'm going to get to a eight out of 10, but maybe not a 10 out of 10 because I put those constraints on myself and I'm happy with that. Yeah. Yeah. I think part of that as well is I think there has to be an understanding there. Um, and that's what I think that's where the communication piece comes in with people is that they have to understand people that are close to you need to understand that as well, because Again, 10 people in the room, they're going to have 10 different definitions of what success is or what their purpose is. So I think it's just getting a good handle on if I know you, then I I will know what your purpose is. It's clearly defined or I will know what your, you know, what your thoughts are around work in general, right? Um, It's getting to know, it's getting to know people and, and getting to know what motivates them, getting to know what their goals are. and ultimately purpose. Yeah, I agree. Um, Kevin, at the end of these podcasts, and I know I didn't pre-warn you on this, but I I didn't feel the need to because it's really right along the lines of what we've been talking about and what your career mm-hmm. is. But at the end of this podcast, which is a podcast about turning negative momentum into positive momentum or mm-hmm turning just a listless nature into a positive winning momentum. What are your top three methods or ways or tips to change momentum? Whether that be in your personal life when things are going bad or, you know, throughout your client base. I think there has to be top three, huh? Um, I think you have to find in your life, some way to calm those demons that you have. And I think there is a... Is, is that fear? Variety or of when you say demons, do you mean fear or do you mean negative yeah, habit it loops? Could be fear. It, could, it could be fear. It could be fear. It could be anxiety. It could be... Um, Thoughts. There's an expression that I read um, out of a, a book called Buddha's Brain. It was interesting because the author, Hansen, says that inside ourselves we have two wolves. You have the wolf, the good wolf. You have the bad wolf. And the wolf that is going to emerge is the one that you feed the most. So how do I feed the wolf? Hopefully it's the good wolf that I want to emerge. So what do I do to feed that wolf? And I think part of that is um, that reflection, that calm that, that I need in my life. I think the second one, the second biggest thing is know thyself. Just, just know what your interests are. Know what your passions are. Know what drives you. Because again, that's going to be very, very different uh, between a number of different people. So know yourself. Get a better handle on yourself. Maybe it's feedback from other people. Maybe you do some assessments. Maybe you really get a handle on, you know, some of those key areas of your life. 
And I think the third one is do some work, do some work that is going to be right at the bottom of, I don't know if you studied this or remembered this in, in, in school, Scott, but right at the bottom of uh, Maslow's hierarchy. Do you remember the triangle of Maslow's hierarchy? Yep. Right, right on the bottom. That's keeping it simple. And that's keeping it simple because that deals with basic physiology. What am I doing with my sleep? What goes into my body? What am I eating? And am I moving? Am I exercising? Because the payoffs, I believe, are immeasurable. And you cannot move to subsequent levels on that hierarchy unless you cover off those basic ones that are along the bottom. I'd say those are my top three. Interesting. Love it. Kevin, um, where should people follow you, reach out to you? I, I, um, I, I've noted that you're doing a lot more content these days. And so... Yeah, yeah. So that's my social media guy that's driving that bus. Yeah. Uh, but that's been a lot of fun. That's been a lot of fun. Uh, best way to, to get in contact with me is either through, um, uh, probably through LinkedIn. That's probably the best way. Um, or follow, follow me through my website, www.changeworksinteractive.com. Changeworksinteractive.com. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? I think that's about it, Scott. Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been the Winning Momentum Podcast. Give us a thumbs up and a subscribe and all those things, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks, everybody.